and welcome to the Limited Bandwidth Podcast. We are your hosts, Leo and David, otherwise known as the folk duo, The Last Inklings. Social media is here to stay whether we like it or not, and it's become an essential part of an artist's toolkit for connecting with our audiences. And we're on a journey to discover how we can make it work for ourselves and making sure that we keep space to be creative at the same time. Now, in our earlier episodes, we've explored the role that social media plays for, for other creatives like us. And we've met three specialists to find out a bit more about the psychology of social media, uh, digital marketing, and how to kind of safeguard our mental health online as well, uh, both for work and socialising. Yeah, and in our last episode, we spoke to Nicola Neath, who is an accredited therapist who's done her own research in the area of Zoom fatigue and digital burnout, um, inspired by her own first-hand experience. But here, in episode six, we're joined by a panel of people with a keen appetite for music, uh, from real-world gig-goers to those who like to digest their music through various apps, streaming services, and probably some who don't. Um, We want to find out how they meet their kind of favourite artists online, and we've gathered this panel together to represent everyone from digital natives uh, to those that have seen social media evolve through their lifetimes. So we're here with Charlie, who is a member of Generation Z. Hello. With Callie, who is a millennial. Hi. With Spud and Laura, who are both from Generation X. Hello. Hello. And the representative from the boomer generation, Rog. Hello. Thanks, everyone, for coming. Yeah, uh, we will get straight into it because there's so many questions that we've wanted to cover, especially now we've had our kind of time with all of our specialists and they've raised quite a lot of interesting points. Like through the last five episodes, there's been a lot of ground to cover, um, but we've we've been so stuck, kind of coming at it from just our perspective. This was the whole point to step uh, step across the stage, meet you all in the audience for a moment. So, kind of easy starting one. We wanted to know what kind of social media platforms you actually use on a day to day basis, if you do at all, because I know there's possibly some people in the room who don't. Uh, so maybe if I throw that to you, Charlie, first. Yeah. Uh, so personally, I use Reddit, uh, Instagram, and YouTube. Primarily, just to follow artists that I like. Okay, Reddit, that's an interesting one. We're talking about that with Dr. Sarah. Yeah, it's interesting how they they all have their own sort of different specialisms. Um, So we'll we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, We'll throw throw it over to you, Rog. That's a very quick one. Um, None of them, unfortunately. BBC, (laughs) perhaps, but that's about it. Not not really. Fair enough. Nice. Social media. Uh, Kelly? Yeah, actually, um, yeah, BBC Sounds. I've used BBC Sounds, uh, YouTube, Instagram. I only really use Facebook because my husband keeps tagging me on stuff on Facebook, <laughs> but I don't really use that anymore. <laughs> That's my husband's it, yeah. 15 years older than me. That makes sense because obviously Facebook's a bit old. Oh, you know, some of the students that I work with certainly have told me very similar things in the past. I won't name names. I've heard it referred to as established yeah. rather than <laughs> yeah. something like TikTok, which is. Uh, Still, still emerging, really, isn't it? And what about you, Laura and Spud? Oh, I would say BBC Sounds, and then follow up. If we want to expand on somebody, we typically go to YouTube. I would say. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah, I think we tend to use quite a few. Um, yeah, certainly as someone. Necessity. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll put it that way. If I was using it purely socially, I don't think I'd be on some of them. No. Are there any? Platforms that people actively avoid because they've tried it and they don't like it, or I don't know. Twitter. Twitter? Twitter. Okay. okay. Definitely Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> Poisonous place. <laughs> That's funny. I mean, actually, in our own conversations, we've covered that sort of thing. It's uh, We were talking with Dr. Sarah Hodge about anonymity mm. and how Twitter gives you this absolute ease of being so anonymous that you can behave however you want online. 
Mm. Um, yeah, morality kind of slips away because it's, is it really you? Is it the real world? My main gripe with Twitter is that it's quite throwaway, the content. Yeah. Like it, it, it vanishes very quickly. And to get any traction, you either need to be very um, consistent and frequent with posting or very controversial with your posts, <laughs> which kind of, yeah, it pushes you in a strange direction, doesn't it? Yeah, it's not the greatest tool from a marketing perspective. I know that. But actually, as an end user, it's not one I particularly enjoy either. I don't know, did anyone else have any kind of similar things? Um, I just avoid Facebook, really. It's just not a platform for me. I, I just don't really get the layout. I don't understand most of what's posted there. I just don't think it's something for my generation. So No, I don't think you'd have been alone in saying that, part of the people we've spoken to. Yeah, I don't yeah. think I'd use it if, if it wasn't for uh, the music work that we do. Um, just because I don't feel like I engage with it particularly well. Like the content that's on there, the the advertising structure yeah. kind of doesn't really work for when you compare it to other platforms like TikTok or Insta. Yeah, I we've agree. said. Sorry, oh, I was just going to say that Facebook, you said it, you don't understand the format and you go on there mm. and I can't see what I'm looking for or... <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there are so many tabs and I don't understand yeah. what each thing goes to. No. Somehow you can shop on there too. It does feel I, more I like a business tool. Like yeah. even as a yeah. social social platform to me anyway. And everything tried, is hidden away. We tried to watch thing videos on there or live streams and it was really difficult to find where it was because it didn't seem to be on that page. The layout it can be quite counterintuitive, yeah. I think. And, and you look at some things, you know, so it's a, I've I watch a lot of car videos. Okay. And there was a discussion recently as to whether Tesla is a car manufacturer or whether it's a tech manufacturer that just happens to build tech that is in cars. Yeah. And I think yeah. the same thing applies maybe to Facebook. It's it's a selling tool and it doesn't really care how how you interact with it as long as you buy stuff. Yeah, I think it's changed so much over time, hasn't it? And it's trying to be everything for everyone, actually. It's really like, yeah, it's a bit rubbish now, I think. Cool. One of the things we were really, really interested in is... Well, it kind of comes in two parts. So it's not just the platforms that you might interact with musicians on, but also where you might meet new ones. But if we go with something kind of tried and tested, musicians, artists that you already know and follow, where do you tend to go to keep up with their material? So whether that's new releases or they're giving you information about upcoming real world gigs or even online streams, how do you tend to interact with those artists that you absolutely already love? Well, Bandcamp is, is a good place. Um and magazines, perhaps. But generally speaking, if we've been to a gig, seen somebody that we liked, or been to a festival and seen somebody we like, sign up to their page and get emails. Oh, okay. So, so mailing list is still a big thing. Yeah. 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 I guess that's kind of uh, word of mouth as well, if, if you're going to gigs and finding out from other people. Yeah, very much so. I mean, mm. if we go to a festival, somebody might say, oh, you want to check out so-and-so, which we try and perhaps do that if we think it's interesting or... Walking past a tent, you hear something, oh, that's interesting. And okay. then perhaps explore it a bit more. I know it's a bit of a counterpoint to the social media side of things, but have you found the print media stuff, like magazines, as you said, change over time? Yes, I have. I mean, certainly recently there seems to be a swing towards more um, focused stuff. For example, the Unthanks latest album has got some great reviews in the mainstream um, magazine magazines, you know, Mojo Uncut. Yeah, yeah. You know, so they seem to be heading in that direction more than just sticking to the mainstream artists. So that's interesting okay. to see where that's going. There is hope yet, David. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's positive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Charlie, how do you find sort of new music? Um, how do you come across it? So um, for finding new music, um, most of the time it would just be on Spotify. I'm at the end of a playlist and a song radio comes on 
but it's just similar type of music to what I already enjoy, which I find quite fun to be honest. Just would you actively dig around to find out more about the artist if you particularly like the track? Um, yeah, recently I have found a new band called uh, Gothminster. Mm. Um, really good stuff. Found it through a song radio after music that I'd already listened to. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, I, I think I do a similar thing in terms of, I, I think I use YouTube mainly um, because I think that their recommended video algorithm yeah. is yeah, quite good. Yeah, it's very good. It tends to suggest like things that are very relevant to mm. the style of music or the instrumentation or, you know, the song song content in terms of what they're writing about seems to be really on point. I mean, once you've found one of those artists... Is there a particular place you tend to go more often to keep up with them once you kind of said, yeah, I'm quite into your music? Um, to keep up, I would probably join their group on Reddit to get secondhand posts from them. Okay. Maybe look them up on Instagram as well, but I don't use that one as much. Note all that down, David. Uh, <laughs> so and if I take it over to you guys as well, I mean, again, so someone that you're already following, um, Laura and Spuds, like, well, how we, do you keep up? I think we would, we would always do the old-fashioned route and sign the clipboard that comes around. Yeah, yeah. You know, yes. Because I think, I think one of the things is that we get from that is, is, is the benefit that some of the band is sometimes doing some of the heavy lifting because we mm. can't keep an eye on the, their, their movements, their dates, yeah. their tours all the time. So sometimes it's nice to get an email through to say, hey, we're in your area, mm. and then you can, you can act accordingly. Um, beyond that, as Rod said, Bandcamp, um, again, YouTube, um, just really going to their websites and just seeing what else is out there because invariably you you have you have um, you discover somebody mm, yeah. five years after the fact yeah, and they've yeah. got yeah. six or seven albums out and and then you really dig, start digging in and that's the exciting part. But kind of on a similar line, have you ever considered some of the the listing sites like um, Bands in Town or Ents Twenty Four because they fulfil a similar function? They will give you a little update if someone's coming into your area. Yeah, sure, I have seen those, but I tend I I got to admit I tend to just delete and <laughs> immediately and just not really go there yeah but, um, it's encouraging about the mailing list yeah yeah this is something that we've discussed our, ourselves and we, we know that our, our peers have discussed it as well um in the if if you're using facebook for example and you've got so many followers you don't really you don't own those followers yourself facebook owns that that data and you can't can't interact with all of them as you would with a mailing list um, which is the opposite of that. So you do own those those contacts effectively, so mm. you can communicate with them effectively. Yeah. Um, you can make sure that the content is relevant to, to those people. Um, if you're talking about a show that's in their town, sure. for example, those yeah. sorts of segmentation yeah. things. So, yeah, that's really encouraging that people, that's still a, a valid thing to do with yeah. the mailing list. I mean, Callie, are you, are you similar like with the mailing list stuff or would you say more social platforms? I get so many emails through work that I don't actually ever give my email out to mailing lists. But when Charlie said about um, Spotify, I use Spotify quite a lot. Okay. And then I was okay. thinking about like if you're listening to like, TV programmes or films, the sound, you know, the soundtrack or the score, sometimes mm. I like, go and use Shazam and find it from there. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Then you can find yeah. like what the band is and it's like, and then... Then either go Apple Music or Spotify. I do that as well with uh, Amazon Prime. I've got a really good feature where yeah. you can 
go on like more information. Yeah, it, it tells you. It tells you what the yeah. soundtrack is, what oh, songs okay. they're using, as well as the actors and all of that. I, I have used that to find new music as well. There was a remix, I think, you you dug out of um, Running Up That Hill that they used as an instrumental version of The End of Stranger Things. Mm, but yeah. it was, yeah, that was oh, quite wasn't a cool that track. <laughs> uh, it might have been, yeah, yeah. I think partly inspired at the very least, yeah. Mm. yeah. I mean, thinking of that, that's very much social platforms, but just to dip in and check, does anyone happen to use the artist's websites as their main kind of tool to figure out what's going on? Does anyone yeah. like to yeah. go across and check yeah. that? Oh, yeah, yeah. For example, we, we often... Show fans is a favourite band of ours, so we're often checking their their web page out. Okay, and that obviously gives you breakdown of gigs, etc. I mean, do you find the same, Charlie? Um, I I just don't use the websites at all, really. Okay. Um, because if there's something that I'm interested in, I'll see it through a different source. I won't mm. actually go to their website first. Okay. Normally, a video will be uploaded onto YouTube. I'll get the notification through, and then I'll check. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I agree. I don't think I've ever really been on a band's website unless. It's linked from somewhere else, and I've had to go and buy the ticket from that website. Yeah, there was an argument from someone uh, for us like when we were talking to Misha Weston Green in an earlier episode, saying giving people a top level uh, address for your website rather than just directing them to the gig page when they want to buy a ticket can be useful because at least they have to graze past the rest of your material before they hit buy on something. They said, but then at the same time, you put too many clicks potentially between someone and just getting what they want, and that can be really fatiguing. And I know I do this. Go on Amazon, takes too many clicks to buy it, can't be bothered. Yeah, I'll be honest, I was buying a ticket once, and because it didn't do Apple Pay, I didn't have any of my cards with me, I thought, oh, forget it. That's blatantly the folk club, wasn't it? <laughs> I might also look at venues' websites to see who's coming to Yes. Venues. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one as well. Mm. I mean, because do you sign up to venues' mailing lists as well? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, we, we yes. have We have done, we, yeah, we tend to have our favourites, because again, it's one of those things. That if you know, you're going to see a band, mm-hmm. and you know it's at a at a, you might not be wholly switched on to that evening. But if you know it's at a fantastic venue, you kind of bend your mind to go there. Yeah, day. you know it can make a slight difference. Um, and the, the thing I was just going to chip in on was with the websites was that I, speaking for myself, I, I tend to go there not just to look at music, but also merch and other other things. Yeah. So there's there's other ways to support an act, you know. So. I tend to try and buy CDs, still buy CDs, um, try and buy CDs online from source, really. Mm. Yeah, I think actually that's quite a key consideration for us as well. Although um, things like Bandcamp Friday were quite a good initiative because yeah. mm. yeah, so. we knew that money was going where it was meant to go, which Definitely, is very yeah. satisfying. Another good source that I've found is that when you go to a gig, they're doing their playlist beforehand and, again, using Shazam or mm. just going up and asking the sound guy what that is. And then following that through, you know, is a good source of new material as well. Yeah, that's like the uh, the Spotify recommended thing, but in reality, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, I'm part of uh, running a folk club, and actually that's quite a key thing there. Um, Joe, who does that with me, puts together the playlists, and mm. hopefully it does actually have an impact. People are listening to that and thinking about the upcoming artists, so fingers crossed. Well, I, I, could, I could say that we, we do, because the last time we were at the folk club, we were, ah, that's playing, and she's playing in a month's time, so it did... Go into our. This is good news. I mean, we know we do this. We forget that we're also end users in some spaces, and forget that actually there's a lot of people who are switched on in the same way. Yeah, I think we're kind of overexposed to a lot of it, though. Yeah, maybe a little bit. (laughs) I mean, obviously, we kind of said there's a bit of a spread in the room of people that might use different forms of media to follow particular artists. Um, And like Charlie, you touched on where you might find new people, like as David, like falling off the end of playlists and things, recommended stuff. Like that, that's quite passive 
this um you know I, I do the same thing i might just check in on artists that i like but does anyone ever go a step beyond that are you likely to comment on something that's come out from an artist that you listen to or watch like add a youtube comment to a brand new video or a like or anything like that that actually puts you in that active space very very rarely but i have done it mm. <laughs> that, that sounds like a deep admission <laughs> Yeah, if, if 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 something really strikes home, then I will mm. just want to give it a like, okay, and 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 ideally a comment. Yeah, mm. I don't know, Callie. Do you have like this is allegedly this is a blanket millennial thing, and we said this briefly <laughs> earlier, but we're we're terrible at interacting. Just in case anyone sees us do it, like there's this <laughs> internal just, fear of judgment. <laughs> you no, know, I was just trying to think while everyone's talking. I think I, if I really do like it, I'll share it either. Normally, well, if it's my husband that will be interested in it, I'll share it via Facebook, unfortunately. <laughs> or it'll be like, I also sometimes on Instagram will um, bookmark it because then you've okay. sort of saved it and then it remember. I don't know, does it remember that you've saved it and then it shows you things more that you'd like? Yeah, I think I it feeds know. the yeah. algorithm in the background, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I'll sometimes um, so bookmark that rather it, than maybe really, comment on the original post. Yeah, sometimes I'll comment if, it, if, it re- if it's relevant. But also I think someone told me that if you bookmark it, it gives the person who shared it more kudos within the algorithm so yeah. i think that's quite good if you know if it's a local band or yeah yeah definitely or artist. Yeah. yeah yeah it does make a difference how about you charlie do you how do you interact <laughs> um well most of the um ways that i interact with well artists isn't directly with them so mm-hmm. on spotify you can't really talk to them yeah. you can like a song but that just saves it um on reddit you're just talking to people that also like it so i'll comment a couple times to start a discussion but, um, so Reddit is more like a, a fan group yeah. forum. Yeah, so it's, it's just made up of other people that like the music. They'll share things to do with it. Awesome. So just starting conversations with other fans instead of the artists directly. It's quite an interesting thing because we see other artists that we know trying to foster that on dif- in different platforms. So like mm. setting up a Facebook group dedicated to your followers is quite a, uh, it's a standard thing in folk music, it seems, at the moment. Mm. Yeah. But no, I know Roger kind of mentioned getting in touch with people directly by email at certain points, so just bypassing the rest of the noise in the first place. Yeah, there's two things, really. I mean, you go and see gigs, and because of the the folk community, uh, for want of a better word or expression, um, you can approach these people. You can't speak to people after a gig or in the middle of a gig, and you talk to them, um, and some of them will share emails, and some of them will let you contact them, and you can, you know, as long as you don't abuse that, which you wouldn't dream of doing. Um, then you might get an email from them to them, you know, a, a small conversation mm. about a gig that's coming up. Um, going back to the YouTube thing, I know my wife Sue, um, she does put comments on some of the YouTube things. But the the main thing for me is really real world stuff. You know, so we got to know you guys, talking to you after gigs, before gigs. Yeah. And then meeting you at festivals and just, you know, the, the human interaction for me really. I mean, end goal, I know we're talking about social media for an entire podcast, but that is also a really important part of this for us, is meeting people at gigs, playing gigs, going to gigs to watch other people play. Yeah. And this is hopefully just facilitating that, which is why we're trying to learn how to do it a bit better. Because it's really easy to get bogged down and then just think that our whole focus is going to be being on social media. But it's not. I want to have a practice. (laughs) We were were thinking as well of um, merch, merch sales. Uh, Now, for us, that would be mainly selling CDs and things at gigs. Um, and that's that's actually quite a big source of income on the side of a gig for us. It's a really important part of touring. But we were wondering how often, I mean, the balance between what you're likely to stream, how often would you stream something and where would you listen to that music? 
And how often are you likely to actually purchase music digitally or physically? And are you likely to do that at a gig or from an online platform? I know, uh, Roger, you were talking about Bandcamp earlier. <laughs> yeah, uh, my primary source would be buying CDs, even if hand on heart. Don't always listen to them. You know, you're trying to support the artists, you're buying their CDs. Mm. Bandcamp, as I say, or buying them after a gig. Do you uh, find that you might buy the CD but still stream the music? So you've kind of done both hand in hand? I prefer not to stream because I know the artists get a raw deal from that. So I try not to use Spotify. Um, I might see a few bits on YouTube, but I just really don't, I don't feel comfortable with the streaming platforms. No, fair enough. I mean, Callie, where would you sit on that? Um, so I just thinking, I don't think I've got anywhere that I can play CDs anymore. This, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and that's it's a real thing. I um, so, so we, we moved house, and we basically ripped all our CDs, all our DVDs onto a, an Apple Mini, and we just stream everything from the Apple Mini now because obviously we bought, we've already bought it. Mm. And then otherwise, I mean, I am a big advocate for buy. Like, I I will buy music if I can't get it from another source. Um, and I have bought like CDs from gigs, but like watch, but just not listen to them. They kind of go away or. Yeah. I think the only place I could listen to them is probably my van. Yeah, yeah. actually, yeah, when you're doing a bit of a road trip. <laughs> yeah. do, I mean, do you ever find that um, you might hear something on a streaming platform, like maybe you've heard something on YouTube or Spotify or whatever, and, or even the radio, and then you'll look it out to buy it later in a physical form? Um, not anymore. Probably mm. would have done mm. historically, but... Yeah. Um, but it's it's easier probably, now, isn't it? Yeah, I probably yeah. would have bought it on Apple Music before they became a streaming service that then you can just stream. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. What about you, Laura? Um, we like to buy the CD at the gig if we can, or direct from the website mm. of yep. the artist. Yep. Um, Bandcamp Fridays were were exciting and new for us, and started doing that um, during lockdown. So it was nice. It's nice to have the, the streaming on the phone as well, actually cast it to the radio in the kitchen which is really cool but <laughs> yeah there's a lot to be said for the convenience I yeah, definitely agree yeah. but you that. get yeah. both if you buy there's the a lot CD, of choice you get both don't mm. you you get the digital version as well as the cd so that's i like that part of it yeah yeah i'm a big fan of physical music mm-hmm. um mm. having said that don't own any vinyl but it's just it's just just having the work having the lyrics if, if you can mm. things like that yeah it's, it, otherwise it's all a bit transitory and it's just gone and it's you know, mm. but it, having you know, I agree with Law that it's, um, it, it's it's so good to have it accessibly on your phone rather yeah. than oh mm. uh, where's that where's that CD I must oh it's in the car I want to listen to it now oh I'll leave it it's a bit like what you, what, what you were saying Kelly about about buying music and so oh, I can't be bothered you know if I've got to go through three three clicks yeah I won't do it well yeah <laughs> I mean expanding slightly on something you've just said there mm. like with having the physical <clears throat> thing it's got artwork on it yeah. and lyrics and various mm-hmm. things. I don't know, Charlie, if you could weigh in on this, because some of the other students that I work with, various places locally, um, who probably fall, I, I mean, they'd be Gen Z as well. Mm-hmm. They really like this idea that the artwork is a big focus. And if you're going to put the time and effort into creating something, that owning vinyl is really satisfying for that reason. But I don't know, are you a collector yeah. in your own way as well? Um, I do want to start collecting more vinyl. Um, I've only gotten, I've started with one in a collection set that I got a few years ago now. Um but yeah, I think CDs, there's just not much point because for that it's just listening to the song which you can get on streaming. But with a vinyl, you get something you can collect, the artwork, everything. It's a bigger product. Whereas most of the time you would just stream it just because it's so much easier to do. And it brings yeah. you that sense of a journey through an album. I think quite a lot of artists are still really conscious of this. You put together the tracks in yeah. an order that makes sense yeah. 
hopefully musically. We go back mm. to like, the whole concept album. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, we'll get to that later. But this is where streaming then causes people to just do a greatest hits, doesn't it? Mm. You know, yes. yeah, here's an album. I like three tracks. I'll only play those three tracks. But as, as Kelly's saying, you, you know, you put an album on, you listen to it all, and even the, the tracks that you like least, you know, you will listen through them. I mean, Charlie, does do you listen to things in album format still, or are you more likely to listen to things as singles? Um, it depends on the artist, really. Um, a lot of people that I listen to, like, they don't follow a story through the album, so I will just pick out the ones that I like most or listen to a greatest hits. Um, but for some people, it is really nice to sit through the full album. I think if I did have more vinyls, I would be more encouraged to do that instead of just having it on in the background. Well, because one of the things we've noticed is it can be very self-selecting. So if you're on a streaming platform like Spotify, uh, if everyone's listening to that first couple of singles, then those are the ones that appear in the top of the search because they're clearly the best ones, right? <laughs> but is that necessarily true after a while? Or are we all just following that little speed bump, like what do they call it, like the fake traffic jam? Just because one car slowed down <laughs> yes. in the road, we've all stopped there. Yeah, yeah. Rubbernecking. Really sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what trying to find the next best thing. So um, what information do you want to see from artists online? Um, is it important for you to be learning more about them as people and finding out the inspiration behind the music? Yeah, because this is like where we think, do you really want to see our breakfast? <laughs> or do you want us to have a chat about why we've written a particular song? And like, we're never quite sure how much of ourselves to put online as people and what people actually want to see from that anyway. Do you want to kick that one off, Rog? Yeah, I, I suppose... Um, what you have for breakfast is where you'd have a conversation with somebody, but really, uh, for want of a better word, the social media. Um, I'd want to know what the releases are that are coming up, what are the gigs that are coming up, you know, mm. that, those sort of things. I think there's too much um, personal information going out there, so I wouldn't particularly think you should be saying, this is me. But the inspiration for a song, yeah, that's great. But, oh, I had avocado for breakfast. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. Is that a millennial comment there? <laughs> <laughs> it does feel a little bit like it, doesn't it? Ooh, it's rather pointed. I do I like mean, avocado, though. In other fields, I, I can absolutely understand why you might want to see that. I mean, if you were a health and fitness influencer with a podcast discussing this kind of thing, I don't know, you might want to drop that kind of content. But I don't know, is that what you want to see from artists that you follow online? Um, no, I like your comment there. I, I wouldn't mind um, maybe even even if it's like a soundbite of you and David talking about, you know, this is why we, or this is what I was thinking about when I wrote the song. Or, yeah. yeah. Um, or this is what this song, I was influenced by this song. And this is when I wrote this, you know, whatever track. It's like the That's musical what, thread is a bit yeah, more key. Yeah. Mm. Like having, or maybe having like a, I don't know, do you know, like when you're getting ready for a gig, mm. having that kind of sped up so you can see it and then you're talking over it, you could make it quite creative. I don't know. I don't yeah, know what I'd... It's always quite fun, isn't it? Yeah, I don't yeah, know what I'd scroll through when I'm just sort of like, you know... <laughs> but it's gig-related content. Like, that would make sense to us. Yeah. And I don't know if you want to weigh in on anything to do with that. <laughs> um, well, I I have an interest in self-publishing. Mm. Um, and I know from the sort of... The, the, the lines that I follow and um, the conversations they have, when they do what you just asked about, you know, how often do we post? How often do we engage with fans? Mm -hmm. They say that they that they try or they recommend being really really careful with it mm. because people um, may get feedback from or, or advances from um, authors yeah. in my case, and you don't want to hear from people every ten days. Once a month, there's a new thing, or this is what's happening in my life. 
that is of interest to readers or users of music. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that if you if you do it too often, it's a bit overkill and it can put people off. Yeah, yeah. constantly in their feed. Yeah. In- I think it becomes easier for it to become background noise. Yes, yeah, and 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 I I, I agree with Kelly and Roger that, that, that if you if you want to. I would be really interested in why people write songs mm-hmm. or, or, or or the impact of COVID on them or, or mm. something, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, avocado for breakfast. No, I'm not interested. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, the impact of COVID. So something that's actually a personal reflection rather than something that can seem a bit vacuous. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that, Charlie? Do you, do um, you prefer to see, you know, your favourite bands being present a lot of the time or are you happy for them to wait? you know, before they release something or something that's maybe a little bit more relevant to their music? Yeah, I think um, it all depends on which platform you're really posting to, I think. Mm, Um, Especially with TikTok, it's loved by Gen Z. Um, I feel like that's a lot more personal than, say, YouTube or Instagram, whereas a professional, like, here's a video of our music, it it would feel (laughs) too formal. People don't really want to see that. People this. want to see you like rehearsing, writing songs, or what you have for breakfast. It really humanizes the people that you, you know, sort of look up to. You know, we need to we need to write a song about what we have for breakfast, <laughs> and then we've covered all bases, haven't we? It's funny because Misha was talking to us massively about this, about how you've got to be very specific. What content goes on what platform? This is key, and it's kind of the demographic you're meeting on that platform does tend to fall into certain habits. So, like Facebook, good for faces. And such things. And I mean, he was saying that uh, a lot of users, his, his experience on TikTok, if it's too glossy, if it's too good, you think it's an advert and you'll scroll past. Yeah. I, so I TikTok is a random place, scroll. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you want to see something that just feels like it's not curated. It's a little bit yeah. more like honest. Something perhaps. like just a glimpse into what it's like to be a musician <clears throat> producing that sort of music. Oh, that's fascinating. Mm. Yeah. Like a backstage sort of glimpse behind the scenes sort of thing. Because yeah, enough, that's on, what I like, yeah. But on TikTok, to be seen, they talk about the fact that you need to post so often. Um, do you find, like, because we were saying that maybe you don't want to see artists on lots of platforms all the time, like, give them a month's gap, I would be fine with that, honestly. Right? <laughs> 12 bits content a year, sold. <coughs> but do you ever notice, Charlie, that you see a lot of people on TikTok incessantly, like they're just always part of your feed? Um, if there's a trend going around and that will pop up. Certain people like to bounce on them to get as many views as they like. But um, with people that I follow, a lot of the time, it just gets clouded by all the other people that I follow. Mm. So I'll only see a couple clips, maybe in a week of them. Okay. So it's not too much, but it's still just enough to see what they're like. Because you said you tend to find your music or follow people through places like Instagram. Does TikTok rate kind of second to that or is it not much of a concern um yeah i'd, I'd say probably second tiktok i normally use just for random videos more than music but it, mm. it is nice to see okay sort of the more personal side of musicians that i follow i mean now we've we've fallen into tiktok territory i have to put that to the room i mean <laughs> I, oh no i will say i've started investigating it because you never know you have to be on top of marketing things and kind of maybe you have to be an early adopter to do well with some of these some, some people have great success with yeah. tiktok it's it's the new it's the place uh, that has the most potential to go viral yeah. i think at the moment yeah yeah so it's, it's a powerful tool like even one of my colleagues has managed to do that and uh to the point he now needs a manager to look after his life and it's become a stressful <laughs> thing he went so viral it's been crazy he's an exceptionally gifted guitarist and he's just been sharing guitar solos but i mean is anyone else a tiktoker 
I am on TikTok. Oh, really? But I don't really use it. <laughs> Do you make videos on TikTok? <laughs> I may put my gym lifting videos on TikTok. Okay. And they, okay. But they link with Instagram as well. So then, mm-hmm. so if they kind of go quite, get quite popular on TikTok, then they're also more often popular on Instagram as well. So if you're using that as a platform, do you ever use it to kind of just scroll through yourself to look for content? Uh, I sort of sometimes do, because then I get a little bit involved in the videos, because some of them are funny, and then sometimes uh, I do like the fact that if it's rubbish, you can just ugh, get rid of it. Yeah, yeah we can talk about it, but it's scroll with Dr. Sarah. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, and where would music come into that potentially? Is that something that's ever crossed your path on TikTok, be, uh, bumping into uh, new musicians or familiar ones? No, I don't. It's more, it, mm. I think, just because, of, again, what I use TikTok for mm. is not for music. Because the algorithm is really specific. Once it knows what you like, yeah. Yeah, it'll probably keep you in that area. So Yeah, whereas on Instagram, because I do follow some bands, it will come up in my advertisements. It'll tell me like when gigs are on, for example. Mm, okay. Um, randomly, it told me that Blue was playing at the Bic, and obviously <laughs> a massive fan. <laughs> <laughs> It's the right era for us. I yeah, think. I used to love it. <laughs> I mean, if I have to put that across to you, Spud and Laura, do you have any experience with TikTok? You, I, you won't consider it. I do. No, I do really know. No, what it is no, does. no. The the only knowledge and I have of it is TikTok is something that's been mentioned by other people as a way into growing an audience. Mm-hmm. But again, it seems to me really, really hit and miss. I mean, there are some people that I know of that are absolutely killing book sales via purely by by doing things on TikTok. Yeah. You know, yeah. and um, but I think the thing with that is, is probably aligns with what Charlie was saying earlier on is that it depends on what your readership is in that context or what what exactly what your audience is in a folk sense or in a music mm. sense because you know if if you're if you're traditionally selling to people of 50 or 60 or beyond being on TikTok doesn't seem to have any advantage to me mm. from a sales point of view, yeah. from an involvement point of view. Yeah, I think that echoes with a lot of independent artists, creatives, or or anyone that, that's sort of running their own self-employed business or anything. It's Those sorts of things can be seen as like a, a trap that is, is very enticing because you, you see that people have lots of success there, but you can end up wasting a lot of time uh, and resource on it without much to show on the other side. Yeah, I think one of the suggestions that Misha made to us was to gain traction as a musician, you might have to put or uh, kind of make a stock of hundreds of videos so you can release three or four yes. a day yes. to gain yeah. that early traction. Yes. Mm. So is it worth that time and effort? But mm. at the same time, like we took someone like David, who, I mean, you're a great riff player, for example. We could put a camera on you and you can have all that content within an hour. So <laughs> I've are, we, are we missing a trick? I've resisted thus far, but um, <laughs> yeah, do I, it. I'll never say yeah. never. <laughs> Maybe it's an experiment one day. But, but who would you want to watch that? And well, this is the why thing. would you want them to watch it? Well, ideally, we'd want them to eventually come to a concert, buy a ticket for a concert, come and meet us in the real world, talk to us as real human beings. Mm. Maybe buy some of our music and enjoy that as a conversation. This, but yeah, does, it, does it translate? This is this is echoed by what what we've uh, delved into with some of the experts in that there's this disconnect between all the the online activity that you're doing and you know the reality of the fans that come and see you in a live concert. Yeah, because um, streaming doesn't always equal ticket sales. Yeah, and this is translated you know at every level of the music industry that we see, um, all the way up to sort of the A-list music celebrities that are grappling with this problem as well. So yeah, fascinating stuff. I've got a comment, it might not be relevant, but have you noticed, so you're saying about how the online activity might not equate to um, ticket sales. 
because it's so easy just to kind of listen to 10 seconds or 20 seconds of something and be like, oh, yeah, I liked that, move on to the next thing. The actual effort of going, okay, who is this? Do I, you know, what else have they played? Mm-hmm. Where are they playing? Oh, they're playing over, I, li- I live in Bournemouth, they're playing over in, you know, a different town next door. Too much effort. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So can they be bothered to go? So then you don't get the person coming to your gig. And it's and I've noticed, even in my business, people are just lazy to come a little bit further than their house since mm-hmm. COVID. Mm-hmm. And I hate to say that, you know, the C word. But, um, <laughs> and I think it's true. It's relevant. Yeah. Like you can't ignore it. Yeah. Mm. And there's, uh, we seem to sense this trend that people are still happy to do a lot of things during the daytime, but evening events are just off the table at the moment. And uh, I'd love to see that turn around. But obviously there's other things. We've, we've come out of one crisis and we're potentially <laughs> heading into another. Mm. Um, so here's a question. Are there any examples of artists that, um, that people think are using social media successfully? Yeah, so all their um, online outputs, their websites, their, their yeah. Spotify, everything. Do you find it easy to find them? Do you like it? Like, has, anyone, it has anyone really caught your attention? Yeah. And can you remember why? Like, was <laughs> it a video? Was it a specific post? Was it something that somebody has told you that they've seen? Their breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie, um, do you have any thoughts on that one? I know, I'm trying to think of someone, but no one's really coming to mind that's really stood out for mm. me. That's okay. This is an interesting thing for us because we initially, when we wanted to interview someone for this podcast, an artist that was doing it well, we were struggling. And we were talking to other artists we knew and saying, who do you think is getting this right? And who do you think is really visible across the board? And it's been hard to find people. Exactly (laughs) that. I think someone that that I've seen in the past, this is not a recent example, is someone like Nine Inch Nails, who are kind of in front of the trend in that they're pushing different models of getting their music out there so essentially for one album release they gave it away for free yeah um in order to get you know a a really wide audience you know um actually hearing their music so that's the cold call campaign that misha would tell us about yes um, (laughs) get it out there yeah Yeah, didn't he also give like free access to Mm. um for people to use his music as well. Yeah, so he, he put out all of the stems for the, the actual yeah, music Gallage tracks. Band or something, wasn't it? So yeah. people could remix them and send them back in and he'd release them, he'd select, uh, you know, 10 tracks or something and he'd release that on his label um, mm-hmm. in order to, you know, give those people a platform because yeah. they're music makers as well. That was that was one thing that, you know, it's, it's quite an old example, but it's someone pushing the boundaries of the technology and... You too did it, didn't it, didn't they, with their, like, again, that <laughs> yeah. random push-out, which was like, yeah. oh, what is this? I think Radiohead did similar as well at some point. I think they several artists have done yeah. it. Yeah. Smashing yeah. Pumpkins Smashing have done yeah. it. Yeah. I think the U2 example got them a lot of bad press. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. people were suddenly, anyone with, anyone with an Apple phone was just like, where's this come from? Yeah. <laughs> and you couldn't delete <laughs> it. No. 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 Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you struggled to buy it if you weren't an, on Apple. <laughs> Yeah, if you were on, well, um, a, I can have you can have it free. How <laughs> <laughs> <No>, ironic! <laughs> I've um, I've been a Marillion fan since 1989, before all the social media and everything. Nice. And um, so at the end of the 90s, they left their record company and um, asked all the fans if they would put money to you know this was the really exciting brand new idea mm. if they would help fund their album. And they would put all our names on the covers, so that's what they did. And they've all, and they've always they've really developed their online relationship with all their fans over the years. I mean, even it, through COVID, 
we we did it might have been monthly but they kept on emailing us and just telling us they didn't bore us or annoy us or anything it was okay <laughs> to hear from them so they've done and a reasonably good job of curating they, a proper community exactly, online yeah, yeah. They, yeah. They, they they were actually the i think i'm correct in saying they were actually the very first band that ever engaged with the internet and fans via the internet okay. because i think um they have been as laura said they, yeah their heyday was obviously in the middle of middle 80s late 80s and then they just carried on making music but they they were tailing off you know mm. Mm. and they were in decline and financially that was really affecting them and then one of the members said um how about this new thing called the internet why don't we engage with our fans that way mm. and their fans are like the only way i can really describe it is it they're like a football supporter they they follow their team all the time uh, and brand loyalty exactly it's exactly thing. it's what yeah. you're looking for and and yeah. and what they get from that is um huge sales you know the, the, the merch is so incredibly extensive i mean they mm. bring out an album maybe every five years okay but the stuff that you can get is second to none you know the, yeah. the, the, the breadth of it yeah. and that's how they make their connections I mean, in a very similar area, uh, some some friends of ours, for example, they use Patreon, which is one of these director fan groups. So mm. everything's kind of behind closed doors and it's very exclusive. Mm. But does anyone use any of those kinds of sites to stay in touch? Because it sounds like that functions in a similar way. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did it with, um, over lockdown, I did it with, um, there's like a Dorset band. And yeah, and they basically couldn't, couldn't work. So they're in the living room playing and every Thursday night they put on a show. Mm. And so, and then the Patreon um, members got access to that and if you wanted to watch them you had to like yeah so it was quite good yeah yeah that that kind of feeds into to the brand loyalty point as well Mm. i know like um i don't know charlie you would potentially be the right age group to be like a key billy eilish fan uh potentially (laughs) you you would be aware of her music definitely and she does the same kind of model but i don't know how aware you would be of that kind of marketing style yeah um i know a lot of people within my age group do like i'm not a massive fan but I, I have to follow her because she's everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> she's very influential. Yeah. Like, not just in the, the music scene, but sort of wider yeah. fashion and, and everything else. With so. those talon nails. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, HLARCs did something similar. They did a subscriber thing where you could pay, I think it was £3, £5. There was two levels. And the more you pay per month, the more you got back for your money. Okay. Exclusive videos or pre-release singles or, or mm. you know, early albums and stuff like that. Was yeah. that very much tied into kind of lockdown response as well? I think it did start in lockdown, yeah. But it's something they carried on with afterwards? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're still subscribers now and oh, okay. there's a community of su- subscribers and because it's a small community, small-ish, they obviously make enough money because, you know, they're full-time musicians and during lockdown they weren't making a lot of money at all. So it just helped them. Do you get this sense that that translates into going to see them into, uh, well, at real world gigs as well? Yeah, although we, you know, we were seeing them in real world gigs anyway, mm. and, and so we did this because we wanted to. We tried to support as many artists as we could during lockdown, as you know. And we, um, you know, went to see as much as we possibly could when it was physically safe to do so, buying CDs whenever we could, and and so we were, you know, part of their community, if you like, before they did this. And we thought, yeah, that's a good idea. We could do that. And you know, for for groups like the Inklings, you know, you could possibly. Look at doing something like that to, to fund it if you needed funding, for example. Yeah, it's definitely something we've considered. I mean, I'm happy to say we were a bit reluctant to, to use things like um, 
online streaming gigs as well and that was very much from a personal point of view it was so hard to feel like we were developing a connection when we were so mm. so separate but yeah, I think so now we have a different approach <laughs> yeah you did that do sense, one, <clears throat> yeah we gave it a go yeah. and it was it was a surreal experience to perform to no one yeah. although saying that when you said you felt like you were playing to no one I was watching this guy called Captain's Beard and we absolutely loved the fact that he was in our living room and every like, me and James would like get our beer and listen to it and kind of like sing along to like the sea shanties and it was almost like he was there with us so only you might yeah. have felt that yeah. um, he wasn't there it felt like he was in our living room so it's quite good well I know there was an artist Ian Prowse Amsterdam mm. uh, and he's got a core group of followers now that go to almost all of his live gigs because mm. they all came together in that community online and they mm. had that experience with him and I think he had a very different experience than us he loves that kind of thing yeah so it, it does translate it does spill over yeah, it's it's funny how it works for some people and other people. They just don't don't can't get along with it. It's just nope. too far mm. for them. Yeah. <laughs> now, I would love to cover a hundred more subjects with you all because I think there's so much fascinating stuff. Even if quite selfishly, it's like market research for me because it's just interesting <laughs> to see what's on the other side of it. When I'm sat at my laptop all day, and uh, you know we've been locked up in the studio recording things. David's gone a bit mad from mixing endlessly. It's it's hard to know what's happening on out there in the real world in the sun. <laughs> Yeah, so thank you very much to everyone uh, for taking part in the podcast. Uh, we very much appreciate it. You've been listening to episode six of the Limited Bandwidth podcast, featuring a panel of music fans exploring how we use social media to engage with the music scene and how this changes on different platforms and how personal preference factors into how they consume that music. And if you've been affected by any of the topics covered in this podcast, you can find support through the Help Musicians website at helpmusicians.org.uk slash contact. This was the last episode of our six-part series, Limited Bandwidth, and all episodes are available to stream now on all major platforms. You can find out more about our music and the other podcast episodes through our website at thelastinklings.co.uk. The series was recorded and produced by Leo and David, featuring music by The Last Inklings. Mm-hmm.